I think the missing component there is intentionality. When I get to the end of a long day, if I have the time, I grant myself permission to watch one Netflix episode. That's a very different level of intentionality than I'm gonna watch Netflix tonight. Just two different patterns there. And it's not to say that my way of living is better than someone else's, it's just if you have a goal mm -hmm. of getting to your ideal life as fast as humanly possible while still enjoying the journey along the way, you have to have that intentionality and that is inherently where priorities will become established. What's up? My name is CJ Finley and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's guest is Patrick Lyons. Patrick is a longtime friend and was on the show back in 2020 for episode 72. So if you wish to learn more about his personal story, be sure to check out that episode as well. During this convo, we chat about his recent retreat in Hawaii. He shares the inspiration behind hosting the retreat and the steps he took to make it happen. This conversation also touches on both of our personal growth journeys, which includes Patrick's book that he is writing, new business ideas, and building new connections across the world. Please welcome back to the show, Patrick Lyons. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again with another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. And today, my guest is one of my longtime friends here in Austin, Texas, Mr. Patrick Lyons. He recently moved back to Austin from Dallas. And before that, he was in Seattle and really just traveling, doing a bunch of traveling all over. And that's where I, I'd love to start this discussion with you just got back from a retreat that you hosted in Hawaii. So when we're talking about you hosting your retreat, I'd love for you to kind of describe why was that an idea in the first place and what were the steps to making that happen? But before you answer that question, how are you doing today, Patrick? I'm doing great, man. I'm excited to be here. And it is cool to just to like look back on the last, like, I don't even know, six years since we met. I think it was 2017. Um, so it's just like seeing you here now and like knowing all of like the growth that you've gone through, that we've both gone through and the fact that we're kind of still here, but way in a different spot than we were six years ago. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, I was actually thinking about before we jumped on here, where I actually met you the first time with people that I bring back on. I like to reflect like on the journey of where we met and the different aspects of our life. And I couldn't remember I'm almost positive the first time we met was a photo shoot or at the gym. Actually, no, now that I was about to say that I, I knew exactly where it was, but uh, it was a mutual friend who I met six years ago at a photo shoot, and then I would have met you shortly thereafter, but now I'm blanking on... Was it at a ninja thing? Like, we were doing a bunch of ninja stuff. Yeah, we definitely did Ninja Warrior, but I can't remember if we would have linked up before then or not. We'll have, we'll have to do some, re yeah. I'll do some research on this because I mean, that's just like, yeah, it's, it's been, there's a few people that I met when I first came to Austin and you're one of them. We had this like fitness community and yeah. it's been a wild ride. So let's kick it into high gear here. I want to make the most of your time. I know 
uh, time is super valuable on your end and you're up to a bunch of stuff. And I'd love to provide that value to the audience here listening today. So right back to that question of how the heck did you get inspired to host a retreat in Hawaii? And like, what were the steps building up to actually making that happen? Yeah. So I had the idea loosely at the back of my mind for years. And the reason is because I found that I loved traveling and I specifically loved traveling with other people. And when I would go on trips with people, whether it was somewhere else in the state of Texas or to Colorado or actually went to Hawaii with friends about two, two and a half years ago, I just loved finding the best of the best experiences for us to share and just like jam packing every single day to make sure that we got the most value out of every single day, basically so that we could know that we had the best experience of that place, know that we had made the most of, you know, the money we had spent, the most of the time that we had there and inevitably made lifelong memories because of it. And so it wasn't that I was ever formally planning these trips with friends. It was more so like I found as many ideas as I could. I was always trying to get the group on board to like do these different things. And I just had so much fun doing it. And I, again, I specifically had so much fun doing it with other people, whether they were really close friends of mine or people who I'd literally never traveled with before in my life. And so when I had that idea kind of brewing at the back of my mind, I always had the idea like, okay, eventually I'm going to host retreats. And for the longest time, I thought it was going to be that I would launch my book and then I would start public speaking at different places. And then that would lend itself to like hosting retreats that are uh, built upon the foundation of the book. So like the book is about habits. I was going to host retreats about habits and like how to implement these habits into your life. And so for me, that was like, okay, this is like probably at least a couple more years down the road because I haven't even published the book yet. So of course the retreats aren't going to happen yet. But what ended up happening was with that idea at the back of my mind, this company reached out to me called Best in Travel. It's based in Australia. They have like a massive social media following of like 1.6 million followers, ton of credibility, ton of partnerships, all this stuff. And they basically were like, hey, we have this idea. We want to have people in very specific niches host retreats for you know relatively small group of people in destination locations. Is that something you'd be open to? And in my head, I'm just like, that's exactly what I've been thinking this whole time. It felt like it just perfectly landed in my lap. And so got on the call with this guy who owns the company. Uh, again, he's based in Australia. So you know, I'm meeting him at like 9, 10 p.m. on a Zoom call and just talking through details about what that could look like. And he had approached me specifically. I actually never asked him this explicitly but I think it's because I'm in the fitness niche and I'm frequently posting with like hashtag travel, hashtag adventure, hashtag hike, like the things that are in that specific world, but with fitness in mind. And so he gave me the freedom and control to kind of like craft the itinerary, choose the location. And then meanwhile, he's building out the back end with the website and with helping with marketing, promoting the event, that sort of thing. Um, and so that's really how the idea got created into reality. And I knew before I ever launched the retreat that it was going to be in Oahu because Oahu is my favorite place in the world. Like literally nowhere I've ever been has brought me so much happiness. Every time I tell people how I describe Hawaii, it's just that like it's impossible not to be happy when you're there. That's the way I describe it. And that just like fills me with life and I know that it fills other people with life too. So I was like, this has to be the first place that I take people. But I wanted to be a relatively savvy marketer. And so what I did is while I was on a different destination trip, I was in uh, Tolentango, Mexico, which is like two or three hours north of Mexico City. It's this amazing view where you have like tide pools on the side of a mountain that have been like man-made carved into the mountain. It looks like this 
amazing place. It is an amazing place. And so I film a video there while like on a destination vacation, mentioning the fact that like, Hey, I'm going to launch my first retreat for next year. And I want your help choosing what that location is. And so I had people like fill out a survey and lo and behold, Oahu still came out on top. That was the most voted place. So now I had my internal validation. I had my external marketing and I had a survey result that has a myriad of different locations that can inspire future retreats I already have the data. Um, so then a couple months later, I finally launched it after like kind of officially building out the website and the itinerary, uh, with my business partner and within, you know, a day or two already had a bunch of signups. And then I can't remember exactly how long it took, but it did take a couple months before it got to like a sold out retreat, which was 15 people, myself included. And then it became a matter of like, uh, executing on the itinerary. It's like, if you have 15 people that are all on board for this itinerary you've laid out, you got to book reservations, you got to book rental cars, you got to book where you're going to stay, all this stuff. Um, and so then it became much more of like the managerial or like administrative work. But then by far the best part was the actual retreat. It was like, obviously I went into this with high hopes. Like, I think this is going to be a great time. That's why I'm doing it. I'm in my favorite place and I'm bringing together people. I should mention people that didn't know each other previously. It's like across the 15 people, there were two girls who knew each other. There were two separate girls who knew each other and not a single other person knew another person on the trip. So people were flying in from all over the country, meeting for the first time on the island of Oahu. Everyone was passionate about health, fitness, travel, and adventure in one way or another. And that common ground is what unified us and what made everyone like comfortable doing this thing in addition to the fact that they knew I was hosting it. And I mention that because it's like, when I look at the marketing efforts of my business partner versus me, it ultimately came down to the marketing I personally did. And not because my business partner doesn't have like pull in the game. He has a much, much larger following, but it's like if someone's signing up for a retreat, it's probably because of either the person, the place or both. And so if someone who's never met me before, or maybe has met me a couple times, or they're just an acquaintance or whatever is signing up for this retreat, it's because of whatever thing I might bring to the experience and whatever thing they've seen previously of me in the world of travel through what I share on social media. Um, and so I think that just having everyone come together with that kind of similar mindset of like why they're doing this and what is drawing them to it made it so that people felt comfortable literally knowing no one going into it. But then, yeah, the actual retreat just blew my wildest expectations out of the water. It wasn't perfect, but it was the best week of my life. And I don't say that with any exaggeration. It's like, I didn't know that it was going to be that great going into it, but coming out of it, like after all the retreat guests left, I stayed on the island for a couple of days longer just to like explore around, plan the next retreat, things like that. But it just like the waves of emotion that hit me were so intense, like in a really amazing way where like I found myself like crying because it was such a powerful week where it was like I it was the closest I'd ever come to what I define as like an ideal life week where it was like for six straight days, happiness, fulfillment and health constantly. And that's what my definition of success is. Like, I think when we talked like three or four years ago, that was still my definition of success then. It's still my definition of success now. I don't foresee it changing. Happiness, fulfillment, and health while helping others. Those are the things that I want in my life every day. And for those six days straight, I got to experience it for like 24-hour cycles over and over again. And I think that when you have that high of a high, it's just inevitable to have those waves of emotions. But the thing that I, I keep getting uh, sidetracked as I'm talking about this, the thing that caused that level of happiness, fulfillment, and health were 
in large part, the people. It was like, despite never having met, we clicked and we meshed so hard together that it was like within, you know, one day, everyone knew each other's names, everyone felt comfortable with each other, we were laughing, we had inside jokes, all this stuff. So then we have the rest of, you know, the six days to just like build upon that foundation and become closer friends and just have these amazing memories to now share, not with strangers, but with close friends who are now, you know, post-retreat having reunions in different parts of the countries and things like that. So it's just like, it blew my expectations out of the water, but it also did exactly what I hoped it would, which was bring together amazing people and uh, form unforgettable memories. How many words do you think you just said? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say 1,200. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up in the transcription. I, I say that not to be an asshole, but because you speak so passionately and with charisma that it's it's really what I look for in guests is somebody that is so passionate about what they do and somebody that's only listening to this, maybe you're in your car or on a walk and you're not watching it on YouTube, just your ability to almost like I can feel your energy just by watching you. So if you are on that walk, go check this out on YouTube and check out just like Patrick's passion with what he's talking about. Because if you don't have that same passion in your life, you need to find it. And I think that's one of the things that your retreats helps people do and literally unlocks. I, I've been in the retreat space as well. It unlocks the ability for people that might not feel the way that you get to feel every single day. That spark that some of those people left with, they then can go onto their everyday lives and maybe it encourages them to build their own communities. Maybe they move somewhere else that is giving them more of that every single day, that feeling that you gave them for that week. But I'd love to understand a little bit more of what, what do you think the problems and struggles people were dealing with in their everyday lives that encouraged them to sign up for your retreat? Because I do agree with you with the point of places and person. So the place that somebody wants to go could cause them to sign up. The person that they want to hang out with could cause them to sign up. But then there's a third P, which is like the problems that they're suffering in everyday life. And it could be a big problem or it could just be a small problem. Like, hey, I haven't had fun in a while. I want to go have some more fun. But for your case specifically, you mentioned 14 other people. What did it seem like the natural collection of what people were going through in their everyday lives kind of pushed them over the edge to sign up for yeah, a week Yeah, it's a, a good question. I think that it's almost difficult for me to think of it as a problem, but I get, I, I get where you're coming from because I guess the way that I see it is that they were simply seeking adventure and destination vacation with other people. And maybe... It, they weren't thinking about the fact that they were going to build this community, but maybe deep down that's like what they were wanting out of it. But it's also like, I don't know that the average person like plans out an extravagant week long vacation super frequently. And so I think that just maybe to have someone else to do that for them so that they could just enjoy mm. the experience and immerse themselves in it for what it is that alone can, can pull them in. But I, I don't know if I mentioned this in the talk track, but the retreat was a fitness oriented retreat with an authentic wine experience. That's the way I marketed it. And that's what it was. And the reason I mentioned that is because obviously if someone is told like, okay, there's a fitness retreat, they're not going to sign up if they're not interested in fitness. So in that way, 
anyone going on the retreat would kind of get to experience like, what is it like for Patrick or what is it like for someone who really prioritizes health and fitness even while traveling? What is that like to experience even when on vacation? And so in that way, both myself and others on the retreat, we kind of got to share our habits with each other, kind of alluding back to like where the root of this all came from of like, I wanted to do a habit oriented retreat after the launch of my book, which just hasn't happened yet. I still brought a lot of habits to the retreat where it was like, on a daily basis, we're either doing uh, a workout at a gym, we're doing a daily island yoga flow, we're doing a, a hike at one of the most beautiful places, or a mixture of one or more of those things every single day. And I think that what that can do for people, especially if they're not used to integrating fitness into their travel routine, is it can help them see like, not only can I do both, but I want to do both. Where it's not like a thing I even have to like force myself to do, it's like it can actually enhance the travel experience. Because like if you're prioritizing how you feel through health and wellness and active living, even while in just like this amazingly beautiful place, you realize that doing both is better than not doing both. And so I think that alluding back to your original question about what people were seeking, I think in large part, people had a curiosity of like, what is it like to integrate fitness into travel and do I like it better? And hopefully the answer to that is yes. I love how you started that because that solves a problem for somebody like me where it's when I would want to go, if I would want to go on something like this, it's a lot in large part, the problem, the problem that's getting solved is I don't want to have to think. I just want to show up and have a good time and not have to think about the bus that I have to get on to get to wherever the, the different people that I need to connect with for, I think, in this noisy world that we live in, it's an inhibitor for a lot of people to do things because it is a lot of work to figure out like going on vacation and then figuring out how do I go on that hike? Where do I hike? How do I be safe? Uh, what gym should I go to? Now, people like you and I, we're doing that on a daily basis, but I could see how, I don't like the word average person, but I could see how somebody that doesn't necessarily live the, I would say 1% lifestyle that we live in and breathe every single day, how that solves a major problem for them if they're looking to get interested in this type of stuff. Because even for me, it's like when we do go to these different locations, like I'll, I'm planning a couple different things right now. The stressor is always like connecting with the people, finding out the right path or the right thing to do, flying into the right airport, all those things. And if you solve that for those people, that is a big, big problem, um, yeah. no matter and, who you are. Yeah. And I like you said, no matter who you are, because it's literally like, I think even for people like you and I, it is nice to have times where you don't have to plan anything at all. Like literally a week and a day from now, I'm going to Germany and I don't even know what we're doing yet. And it's like the fact that like if you contrast that with Hawaii where I knew everything down yeah. to like, you know, the hour compared to me going to Germany. So it's like it totally can go both ways where I think literally everyone can benefit from having a period of time where they don't have to think about everything. They can just enjoy the moment. And that's a microcosm of the fitness and health and wellness industry because a lot of people get overwhelmed about thinking, what do I need to eat? What workouts do I need to do? So if they go on a retreat with Patrick and you integrate that into their everyday lives, they can then leave that retreat and understand, okay, now I know how to integrate this into my everyday life rather than feeling that overwhelmed. So I'm super stoked and, and pumped just to see you on the other end of this. Cause I remember leading up to it, the amount of work that you're putting into it. So it's always nice to see somebody put a bunch of effort into something and then come out of it. Uh, just looking and feeling like you do before we jump into the next topic. I have one question that I want to ask you about the retreat, which is for you personally, 
what was a moment that you mentioned you had moments where you were like crying and, and thinking of the, the culmination of that week. But for you personally, where was there a moment where you felt like a little kid, which was like, this is my life. I get to do this right now. Obviously you had a whole week of different highs, but if you can think of just one moment, what would it be? So one of the things that I very intentionally brought to the retreat was my background as a summer camp counselor. When I was at UT Austin, I was a camp counselor for what's called Camp Texas. It's like the intro camp for incoming freshmen. And um, one of the things that you do as a camp counselor is you facilitate fast friendships. And that means that you have to get people sharing things as quickly as possible and showing sides of themselves that wouldn't naturally come, ha- come out unless they had kind of a, a formal environment to do so. So literally on day one of the retreat, the first like group activity we did after just like getting lunch was going to the beach and I uh, had people do the name game, which is where you say your name, you say an adjective that starts with the same letter and you perform an action. So I could say like, I'm punching Patrick. And it's just like the silly thing where you get to learn people's names in a silly way. And then after that, um, I brought out some of the uh, theater warmups that I did growing up in like m- middle and high school that are very intentionally like outrageous. And so what I did, I, uh, I walk out into the middle of the circle because imagine we're all standing in a circle on the beach and I, I don't tell them what I'm going to do. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to point at one of you and then you have to repeat and do as I do as I'm doing it. And then gradually we're all going to be added in to the point where we were then jumping around doing this. So I go into the middle of the circle and I'm just like, ooh, I feel so good like I knew I would. Ooh, I feel so good. Ooh, I feel so good like I knew I would. And then you just get louder and louder and more outrageous. And just like we're on a public beach jumping up and down doing this. And it was just such a fun thing to do within like literally an hour of meeting each other. So that felt like a kid. What, what do you think is going through the, their minds like as that's happening? I mean, there's definitely uncertainty and like, uh, do I want it? like an awkwardness of like, I don't know if I want to do this. But then I think that like once you've done it enough times in a row, you're like, OK, this is it. This is what I'm doing. I'm I'm with my crew and with my group. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. I bring a lot of people on here and we talk about doing hard things and how that seems to connect people. I love this contrast because the hardship in this isn't the sweat, the blood, the tears. The hardship in this is doing something that if I'm on this beach and other people are watching me, I might feel uncomfortable being seen doing this. But because I'm in this random place with these random people and I'm getting almost coerced into doing it, I then open myself up to, oh, this wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Yeah, And that's something that, I think everybody could take something from in their everyday life because I think we make things harder than they actually are where it's nobody actually cares yeah. at the end of the day. So I, I love how you you used that on your retreat. And at the end of the day, I know in that moment, a lot of people were feeling like little kids again there. And that's that's really what we need more of in this world is more fun. And the fun leads to having the passion that Patrick is showcasing here today. You mentioned your book a couple of times. We mentioned it on the last episode that you were on here. I'd love to get an update on where you're at with that and when do you think you're going to be releasing this book out into the world? Yeah, so I think we talked like two or three years ago. I've been writing the book now since May of 2020. So over three years I've put into the book. And basically the stage I'm at now is I have fully written the book, I fully edited the book one time through. 
meaning that I read through every single page, I made any edits that I wanted to do, and then I removed a bunch of pages. Like, I'm writing this on Google Docs, so we're talking about eight and a half by 11 size paper, which is far bigger than any book you're ever gonna read. Um, and I preface that to say like, it's 410 eight and a half by 11 sheets right now, which would publish out to like 700 plus pages, which is just way too long, especially if I wanted to have a chance of being like a national bestseller. So again, just going through the, the process, it's like after I wrote it and after I edited it through one time, I pulled out like 60 pages and meanwhile, like added back in like 60 pages because I just had so many other ideas that had come up with like, you know, during the two plus years of doing that. And now I'm in the second pass of editing it and I'm just editing for grammar while just making subtle notes in a separate note on my phone of like, okay, what are the sections that I can do without completely? What are the sections I can do without partially? And so after I edit through grammar wise and spelling wise and all that, the second time, I'm gonna go back and remove as many sections as I can, hopefully get it down closer to like 500 published pages. And that's when I would then take it to a publishing house agent and the publishing house agent is who would then pitch me to the publishing houses, ideally get one that's like a very well-known one and um, then publish from there. But in terms of the timeline, I very intentionally didn't give myself one. I'm a big believer in time-specific goals, but this is one that I chose not to do that for because I didn't want an artificial pressure to um, stifle potential new thoughts, I guess, because it's like the book, if I had written it within a year and published it within a year would look drastically different than where it is now after three and a half years. Cause that also means three and a half years of learning in my own life, whether just through personal experiences, like going on a retreat or literally researching the science behind health and fitness topics through one of my other businesses. And so I'm very grateful that I didn't give myself that artificial urgency with a timeline even though it's what I do in most other areas of my life. Just this specific one felt right not to. So when am I going to publish it? I still don't know. Uh, I think a feasible deadline would be sometime by the end of next year, but I don't know. We'll see. Has there any been, has there ever been an internal struggle with I need to get this thing done versus add new to it because even though I like you've granted yourself permission to kind of play this yeah. is more like play than it is a time constraint goal where you have a set deadline for your work that you need to complete and you need to get out but even I've struggled in the past even with play where I say one thing but internally I'm still having a little bit of struggle has there been any struggle of man it's been three and a half years and I still don't see the end of this or has it completely the entire way just been, you know what, I'm just gonna have fun with this. There's been small moments of the internal struggle and I think it's in large part because I've been sharing the progress every day on my story for years. So like I have basically this small community of people who is almost like invested in the book being published. And so, you know, at least every month or two, I'll get a couple people who are like, hey, when's the book gonna be ready? And it's like, that's cool for me to know that someone wants it to be ready. Uh, and that makes me want it to come out sooner. But at the end of the day, as much as I want to help like cater to a person who is interested in the book, I care more about the final product being undeniable. If you're not, if you're watching us on YouTube, you just saw me like really smirk, <laughs> dude, you just set yourself up for a great marketing campaign. All the people that are reaching out like that, 
have like put a fee down and then they get a special copy of your book when it actually does drop. So basically they buy in right now, like 15 bucks, whatever, and have them lock in to getting a special edition of your book. And it's kind of like you just saw the hundred million dollar leads by Hermosi sitting on my desk. And before we even talked about this, on this podcast, Patrick was asking me like why he's seen other people with three of these books. Like why do they have three of the books? And I have three of Alex Ramosi's books because when he was doing his live, which had like 500,000 plus people on that, on his actual live webinar. And then, um, millions of people watched it like the same day that he released it. But if you were on it live, he basically sent out like, Hey, if you buy three books and gift two to the, the goal is to gift two to other people, but if you buy the three, you're going to get this hat that they're not going to produce. So it's basically a collector's item. Um, so it just reminded me of like, if you have these people that are asking about this and they've been going for three years, like I would put money towards just getting a special edition of that book. And then also it, it also allows you to see like what your true community is, where you can like write them a special note in the book and like extend that beyond. So just a, no, a, a simple marketing idea yeah. that kind of just came about hearing that because I'm just like, that's brilliant. Like you've been telling the story for so long and there's people bought in. How do you basically give to them because they've been yeah. bought in this, this time? So have, yeah, it's a, it's a good idea. And it's like throughout those three and a half years, I definitely made a list of like every single person who has, um, has asked about it. So I, I hadn't thought about that specific Avenue kind of the thought process I had was like, they would be in like the pre-launch group of sorts where it's like they get access to the book before anyone else, but that's potentially even a yeah because idea. the the if they did say they say you did put a fee behind it that whatever you collect could also just go into creating the special edition. So it's like yeah. they're paying for their own special edition where it's like you're not looking to make money off the special edition. You're just looking to almost break even mm. where whatever money that would come in from people looking to buy that, you're just throwing that into how do I create a little bit more um, special sauce for these people that I really care about and they've obviously shown that they care about me. So yeah. love love hearing the update. What one, I would say one other thing I wanted to mention about it because you asked like if I had any like internal struggle about it. One thing that's helped me a lot is listening to other authors talk about their process to know what is quote unquote normal. Even though I don't care about being normal, I want to know like what is the norm. And so I've listened to, I'm blanking on it, Jim Collins. He's the guy who wrote Good or Great. I think that's what it's called. I haven't read the book, but I've listened to him talk about it. And one thing that he said is that he budgets five years per book. That's just his baseline. And so when I heard that, I was like, well, shoot, if like that successful of an author just has a baseline of five years, I guess three and a half isn't like anything abnormal. Um, so that gave me like some comfort. I'm not like going for five years now because of that, but it made me realize like, okay, this isn't outside the realm of normalcy. Yeah. Jim Collins, he also wrote Built to Last. That's right. So you want your book to last the age of time. And I guess putting a lot of time into it is one of the things that will help you do that. So it's it's inspiring. I, I'm looking to start mine. I said this on the last podcast, um, but I think it's going to be happening here in the next year or two. So I'm looking forward to that process. What is the book about and who is going to get the most benefit from it? Yeah. So the book is about habits and how they lead to the happiest, most fulfilled, healthiest life. I'm saying that in a little bit of a wordy way, but like the tagline will be something like, an evidence-based guide to happiness, fulfillment, and health based on over 3,000 published studies. That'll be something like the tagline. Um, and it's literally about like what you do on an everyday basis, like literally day after day, that is the same 
and how that is what can get you more benefit than just about anything else. Um, and so in terms of structure of the book, it's like I break down the science behind habits. I break down how habits work in your brain in terms of the formation of neural networks and why habits as opposed to any other approach like going all out for like a day or two per week instead of what you do day after day, how that can lead to the best results possible because of the automation that you reach within your brain. And then I go into the defining of happiness, the defining of fulfillment, and the defining of health. And those comprise the largest chunk of the book because it's like, I realized the longer that I went with it, that to actually define happiness and what it means is like an insurmountable task. But I think I've done a pretty good job of it because I've spent three and a half years doing it. And everything in the book, like I alluded to in the tagline, is evidence-based, based on published research on these subjects. And so in terms of who gets the most benefit out of it, it's really anyone who is trying to lead their most successful life. Because the book starts off by defining success as happiness, fulfillment, and health. So it's like most people don't have a true definition of success in the first place. So if you can at least approach the book with the open mindset of, okay, for the sake of reading this book, I'm going to accept Patrick's definition of success, read through the rest of the book, see if I agree, see if the evidence supports it. That's kind of the approach that I take. And uh, I think one thing we talked about like three years ago, whenever we first did this podcast, you and me, was this idea of like your ideal Saturday or your ideal life. And what I define my ideal life as three years ago is almost the same as what I define it as now. But through those three and a half years, I found pillars that were missing and I found pillars that needed to be changed in terms of like the 10 or 11 things that I want to occupy every single second of every single day that I live. And again, I don't think most people have a concept of what their ideal life actually is just because they haven't spent the time reflecting on it. And so I think that that is what like the type of person who gets the most benefit out of this is someone who is searching for an answer to like, what do I want to get out of my life? What do I want my life to look like five, 10 years down the road? And not only that, how do I actually get there, AKA through habits? What are the best habits to implement? The book lays that out bit for bit, word for word. What new habits in your life have maybe changed the way that you've viewed the writing of your own book? So you mentioned you took three and a half years and you've been learning al along the way. Like, what have you learned about habits or your own habits that might have or might be showing up in your writing yeah. for the readers that eventually get to read the full book? So ironically, one thing that I have learned over the last three and a half years is when not to practice habits. And I think that that's one of the most important things that people don't think about because I have an obsessive all or nothing mindset with a lot of things that I do, especially habits. And habits lend themselves to that because it's like you can do it every single day and obsess over that. And I do. But there's a time and place when maybe you don't need to practice habits. Like when I was on the Hawaii retreat, I actually planned a lot of stuff in advance or did things in advance so that I didn't have to do habits in some of those ways on the retreat so that I had more time. So it's kind of like the necessary exceptions to habits where it's like maybe you're injured and therefore you shouldn't work out. You shouldn't like push past it just because you have a habit where you have to work out. If you are uh, experiencing a new phase of life, you become a father, all of a sudden you don't have the time you had before, that could be a necessary exception to why some of your habits you don't practice. However, that doesn't mean you have an excuse to drop all of your habits, it just means that maybe some of them don't make sense in this period of your life. So like that's one big learning that I had over the last three and a half years. And then I think another one is just the sheer amount of time you can make if something matters enough to you. And this is something that you and I have 
understood very directly from the clients we've worked with, like in the world of fitness, where if someone says they don't have time, you can very easily kind of like help them go through their schedule and realize like, yeah, you probably do have time. You just aren't prioritizing it right now. And I did that years ago when I got started with my fitness journey. And over the course of years and years of accumulating more and more habits, I got to the point where I thought my schedule was so packed that I couldn't possibly fit more habits in that had any significant amount of additional time unless I was habit stacking, like putting two habits, occupying the same amount of time, like going for a walk while researching a subject. But what I realized is that even when your schedule feels like immensely packed, there's a good chance that you still have operational inefficiencies to where you could still fit in more stuff. And how I learned this was starting in January of this year, 2023, when we're filming this, I started taking an acting class in Austin. And in the first week, we were given a literally a new habit, a daily homework habit of imagination time where you had to spend time just imagining a scenario in the world of your mind. Um, it started off as just completely free reign childlike play. Like where does your mind naturally go? Maybe you're, uh, flying on a dragon and you're circling a castle and there's just like an armed guard and you're fighting that guard. Like that could be an imagination that you go through. And as adults, we don't do that. So it's like a thing where you very, um, artificially have to insert this into your life. It's not like you had a spot in your day previously where you were already imagining and therefore, okay, now I'm just going to imagine acting stuff. You had to create the time. So that was already some internal struggle. Where I was like, shoot, 15 minutes per day. I don't know if I have that with as packed as my schedule already is, but I made it work. I made 15 minutes work. Then the next week rolls around and the teacher bumps it to 30 minutes. And I'm like, well, shoot, like I already felt like I was packed before. I don't think I can do 30 minutes. But lo and behold, I made 30 minutes. And then the week after that, and for the rest of the semester, it was an hour, an hour of daily imagination time. And at that point, it was like, I don't know if I'm even going to do this. Like, I don't even know if it's worth trying because like, there's no way I had an hour in my day a month ago that I'm just all of a sudden going to have now. But lo and behold, I could as long as I have it stacked. I found parts in my day where my mind wasn't actively occupied okay, while stretching or um, stretching is the big one, but then also like while brushing my teeth and while showering. It's like you don't really need to do much with your mind when you're doing that thing. It's such a passive activity. And so I occupied like 30 minutes of time with like simultaneously and then 30 just solo minutes of just like sitting on a chair imagining and granted by this time it's more formal where it's like I have a character's life who I need to imagine in a scene in a play or a script and I have to imagine how they're doing it but what that made me realize is that like even myself who like I pride myself on filling every second of my day if I can make an hour out of nothing for like months on end it just made me realize like I still have operational inefficiencies that I could have been using for years. Brilliant answer. And to the response of you mentioning being a father and becoming a father myself, that's what I felt the most is I look at myself and I was like, holy shit, I have far less time now, but I'm still operating. I'm, I'm actually doing more. And I look back prior to having Aiden and just being like, wow, there was a lot of times where I just was inefficient with what I was doing because I think I was just giving myself the limiter. I think a lot of people is like, you're just limiting what you feel that you can do in a day. And I want to be very clear here. I'm big on intentional free time, 
but most people aren't taking intentional free time. Like if you want to block an hour or two of your day to just do whatever you want to do, go right for it. But I don't think many people are out there doing that, but they're spending hours scrolling or watching Netflix or doing things that I would say are not going to move the needle forward towards the goals or milestones that they have in their life. And for anybody else out there that's listening that just heard Patrick's response, habit stacking is something that I usually call it like compounding. Like how do I compound my time? So I'm in my car. When we're in the car, you have a couple options of what you could be doing. You could be listening to music. You could be sitting in silence. You could be making a phone call, whatever, right? For me, a lot of the times it's like, what's going to move the needle forward in my life at that certain time frame? And this is where I think a lot of people struggle because some may say, okay, well, listening to music is a waste of time. But in that moment, if I need to get amped up for a fitness event or if I need to get my mood going for whatever I'm driving to, the music is the right thing in that moment. In other times, it's, oh, I need to call my parents. I haven't talked to them in a while. And then some other times it's listening to a podcast. You mentioned the word prioritization. Where does that fall in your book? And when it comes to prioritization, what is something that you've noticed with your research and then just being active in the communities here that a lot of people struggle to prioritize? Yeah, so there's a section of the book called Practice Habits More or Practice More Habits. And what that breaks down is what are your priorities where it's worth investing more time into versus what are the areas of your life where it's worth adding new habits that weren't there previously and therefore practice more habits. And I think if you combine that exercise with your ideal life exercise, reflecting on like, what are the exact things that I want to be in my life every day or every week or every month of my life at like the North star that I'm working toward. And that can very easily help you establish what your true priorities should be. Because it's like, if you are doing things on a daily basis, especially things that occupy a substantial amount of your time, but they don't move you toward your ideal life, you're probably misprioritizing something because it's like, how can you expect to get to the place you want to be if the things you're doing aren't getting you closer every single day or every week or every month or what have you? It doesn't mean that there can't be indirect things. Like I mentioned in my definition of success, happiness, fulfillment, and health, but there are two other things that you can do like purpose-wise, and that is to save time or to make money, meaning that you could have a habit that somehow saves time, therefore you can allot more time to happiness, fulfillment, and health, and you can have a habit that makes you money that enables the other three things, especially in the long run. And so it really comes down to like all of your habits, all of the things that you do intentionally every single day had better do one or more of those five things, happiness, fulfillment, health, save money, make Time. I was going to say save time, make money. (laughs) Uh, Like, so at the very foundational level, that's the priority. But I think that what the vast majority of people do is they have substantial portions of their time that do very little, if anything, for any of those things. You made the, the point that like people aren't often just blocking out two hours of their time for free time. It's more so just like get home from work, sit down on the couch, watch TV until a show I don't like is no longer on or watch Netflix until I start to get tired and I get hungry or whatever, what have you. And I think the missing component there is intentionality where it's like, When I get to the end of a long day, 
if I have the time, I grant myself permission to watch one Netflix episode. That's a very different level of intentionality than I'm going to watch Netflix tonight. Like there's just two different patterns there. And it's not to say that my way of living is like better than someone else's. It's just like, if you have a goal Mm -hmm. of getting to your ideal life as fast as humanly possible while still enjoying the journey along the way, you have to have that intentionality. And that is inherently where priorities will become established. Yeah. I like how you ended that because a lot of, I feel we connect on this, our content or the way we go about life can seem unsustainable to other people. But the reality is we're just, we're not doing, we still do the everyday things that other people do, but our intentionality behind those moments is a lot more purpose-driven. When when I choose to sit down and watch a show or if I choose to relax, it's an active choice rather than me running away from something else that's bothering me. And in my past life, that's where I, I either over-relaxed or overbooked myself. And many times it was because I was running from something I didn't want to mm-hmm. face. And today, the realization that I have is just like, Man, I'll be straight up. I sit on the couch every single night at this point, but I've noticed that I do that because it help. It literally helps me unwind compared to, I used to work up to the point I would go to bed and then I wouldn't sleep as well. Mm-hmm. And then because I didn't sleep as well, I wouldn't think as clearly in the morning and I didn't produce as well. And then I wasn't as good of a person and I wasn't as happy. So I started testing different habits at the end of the night of like, what could I do to actually, like I'm N equals one, how, how, what affects me to the point where I can just like <sighs> with no substances or things that I used to do in the past and sitting there and just like turning on one show is something that I've realized like gets my creative thoughts going in a, in a good way, not in a way where I want to work or I want to do different things. It's just like me relaxing. Um, so do, somebody, do you watch a specific show or have a time bound on it? Most of the time I do have a time bound. Uh, I'm watching suits right now. Okay. Um, about to finish actually it's eight seasons so i'm about to finish that nice um i'll go in phases sometimes it's like watching a show sometimes it's uh usually my nights will look like i'll get in sauna i'll do my ice and then get a shower and get into like turn it turn all the lights off watch an episode or two um and then go to bed but i found that if i because sometimes it's like oh i'm i'm I feel like I'm behind on something like I'm overbooked that week. I'm working seven days a week or whatever, and I need to get something done. And if I work up till nine 30, 10, I see it in my sleep stats Mm -hmm. and I feel it the next day. So I'm almost more inclined now to be intentional with like an off switch of like that, that sit down time for that one show actually matters more to me than I once had given it Mm. or granted it. Um, but I'm pretty good at not like letting one turn into five. Like I don't, I don't, I don't stay up until midnight just watching things. It's like, I, I'm pretty good at just like, okay, now it's like, even like I'll stop a show midway and into an episode, like, okay, it's time to go to bed. I I think a lot of people, um, might struggle with that. Um, but just because I think that's where, again, like what gets measured gets managed. I measure my sleep. So I know for sure how this is going to impact me. That's a whole nother discussion, but I don't want to... I would say one thing I want to add to that is um, 
I have also gone through periods where I undervalued having the ability to, or the, the permission to watch a show at the end of the night. And what I found is that um, similar to the story I gave about like making time for imagination, it was like because I now had to make that extra time in my day, it forces everything that comes before it to become slightly more efficient so you have the extra time or that it, it becomes easier to have the extra time. And the reason I mention this is because when I have a show that I really, really like, especially because like I'm an actor and so when I'm watching television, I'm drawing inspiration from it as an actor, but I'm still totally enjoying it. Like it is my time where I can like decompress and things like that. But when I find a show that I really like, especially if I like it enough, it almost becomes the reward I'm itching to get to at the end of the day where it's like, okay, I, I literally am excited about like that last thing I get to do tonight. And therefore like everything else gets a little bit easier. And then I get to relax for that like final 30, 45 minutes. And then I get to go to bed. And again, I think that's a different approach to television than just like trying to escape something like you said. Yeah. You were like going back to the intentionality and creativity and you're using it as a purpose. And I think this is what, this is the way that I've always framed it is like the context of the content matters more than the content itself. Mm. So the context that you're using the content for is what really matters. So like I'm watching suits, I'm not watching like real housewives, whatever. And I'm not knocking real <laughs> housewives, but if you're going to watch that, like what is the role that that's playing in your life? Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it toxic? Is it like helping you be more creative? What is it? So when I watch a show like suits and they're talking about like, it's, it is corny as hell, but they're talking about like negotiation and there's a lot of entrepreneurial things going on in that show. But then there's also like, I pull inspiration into my content of like how to shoot different things or how to create in a different way. And I haven't really talked about that like on here. It's just like, but that goes back to your, your habit stacking. It's literally once you start habit stacking, even when you're doing the relaxation and the, the watching the Netflix, you are stacking your habits. And since we're already on the topic of like watching a show, run us a little bit through of you've seen the double down a little bit more on acting since the last time you were on the show. What is something that you've picked up along the way in acting that has helped in all other areas of your life since the last time that we had you on here? I think it's really the ability to imagine things in such a deeper level than I ever thought possible, pulling from childlike play. Basically, the studio that I, I currently go to has three principles. One is focus and concentration, one is imagination, and one is childlike play. And so it's literally like those are the fundamentals that you use to act in a realistic way. And what I've realized is that this concept of imagination where you're taking something on paper and then like truly envisioning it in your life and or envisioning it in your mind so you can then talk about it as if it has happened in your life or as if it is happening in your life. It's the kind of thing where you just come to realize that your mind is so powerful at visualization uh, beyond what most people think is possible. And so that has really just given me, I guess, a whole new lens of picturing things in my mind as I'm learning them as a means of deepening my understanding in a way. Uh, like I haven't articulated that before, but it's like even when I'm now researching the science behind health and fitness topics, I feel like I can see the things better than I used to be able to. And I think having that visual foresight allows things to almost like 
make more sense as a full mental model. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's where I'm coming from. It does, because if we're talking about everything that you're doing in your life, so writing a book, hosting retreats, the business of your online fitness coach academy, you do have a full-time job at Microsoft, having fun, keeping relationships, not only afloat, but thriving. You have a lot going on. Yeah. So if you can improve your mental model of all of those across the board, everything, it's... I've used this saying before, but like you're living in color, Mm. like your colors are getting brighter because your mental models are essentially, if we're thinking about you were an engineer, so like you have calc one, you have calc two, you have calc three, like that's how I'm viewing what acting is doing for you. And I can understand it a little bit because this podcast, for instance, I have done this for four and a half years now. If you were to ask me before this podcast to go MC an event with hundreds of people there, I would be cringing. I'd be scared. I'd be anxious. I would probably still do it because like I have the courage to do so and I would just like suck it up and I'd probably fail and learn from that. But today I could literally just wing it because of the mental model that the podcast has given me. If I understand one person and how to like communicate back and forth. This is actually much harder than like getting in front nowadays than getting in front of hundreds of people where all I have to do is have the model of like, what am I saying? What is the value I'm trying to give to these hundreds of people? And then like directing them and making sure that everybody is understanding my communication. And when I break it down, it's like, this is more nerve wracking than actually the hundreds of people. I can do that now because of this. Can you give us an example in everyday life whether it's like going to the grocery store or the fact that you travel so much, was there any specific stories that you have that have made an impact on your life like solely because of acting? Is there any relationships you've built because of the skills of acting? Is there any brands that you've been able to work with because of acting? I'd love to hear this response because before I got into this world, a lot of people, and I think a lot of people still do this, they discredit things like that, social media they'll discredit or putting yourself out there they'll discredit. But at the end of the day, it it is so impactful in everything that we do in everyday life and a lot of the things that we do. Is there any stories that come to mind where... Yeah, I'd say two in particular come to mind. One is that uh, there's definitely at least one brand and likely multiple that have explicitly said, um, we love working with you because like, we know you get it. Like You do acting. And it's like if you're doing a brand deal for a company and you have background in acting, it's like they just inherently know that you're going to better know how to sell things in an authentic way. It's the difference between saying like, here's a great product and like, this product changed my life. Like those are two very different things. And it's like if you come from an acting background where you kind of have a better sense of how to convey authentic emotion, brands are likely going to be far more receptive to you and as will customers. So I think that's one thing. Um, And like one brand has explicitly told me that and just imagine that others are thinking it. And then the other thing, very different, is that going through that imagination time, especially um, as a character, like when I say as a character, I mean like playing the life or imagining the life of someone who's on a page that you're bringing to life has led me to basically imagine emotions that 
I don't experience in any sort of regular basis, namely like deep, deep sadness and strife and things that are like uh, intense negative emotions that literally like I'm able to get myself to cry through imagining something that's never happened in my life. And like one, that's just like a cool thing of like fulfillment to like know I have the capacity to do that. But also it's literally cathartic where it's like, you can have things in your life that de-stress you like meditation or going for a walk or spending time with family or friends, but to like literally experience the catharsis of bringing yourself to tears and it not being something that happened in your own life is a really, really cool thing to experience because it's like, if you have something that's actually sad in your life and that's bringing you to tears, it's cathartic, but it also leaves the residual, like I still feel sucky. Like I cried and there's this thing happening in my life that like isn't gone. But if you're experiencing something that's in the life of a character and you can bring yourself to the point of tears and then you experience that sadness that isn't real, but then there isn't anything sad that happened in your life, you don't have the residual sadness and you just have the catharsis. And that's been like a surprisingly de-stressing thing in my life. The area of my life that relates the most to what you're talking about here, I haven't thought of it in the way that you just put it. I've started running a lot more over the years and I create characters of where I'm running to <laughs> to help me run more effectively because it's painful. It's like me actively suffering with this running, especially running around this neighborhood where it's like there's no stimulation whatsoever. Once you run around the neighborhood enough times, it gets really, really boring and I don't look forward to it at all. Mm -hmm. So what I've done is like thought of characters of like crossing deserts and different things that I've thought through to help me like get into that mode. It's not necessarily sadness. It's more of like how to, how to make the pain worth it and <laughs> how to like become this character that isn't me right now, but it, also is me. Yeah. I don't know how to no, really that, describe that. That's actually that. a really cool way to think of it. It's almost like virtual reality in your own mind where it's like you, like rather than like running on a treadmill and like looking at a screen that's in a desert, it's like you've created the desert in your own mind and you're going toward that destination. Maybe it makes it easier to go toward the thing because you're no longer in your neighborhood. You're in like this adventure. Yeah. And it, it's, it hasn't happened to me until I've, I've done enough repetitions of the running so it's interesting, you've done the opposite. You forced the repetition of the thinking by the, ha the, the teacher bestowing you this habit. I need you to imagine and do these mm -hmm. things. So now that we're talking about it, has me thinking in like other areas of my life, especially the creative areas where like I'm with this podcast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sift through some of these thoughts after this. I, I really like this topic, but we're getting close to, to wrapping up here. And you mentioned that you don't really have sadness or deep sadness in your life and these things and you've been practicing getting into that mode in your life it's funny because one of the questions i had already had in my mind to ask you here at that towards the end of the podcast is we're super positive people and we're go-getters and we're always doing new things but what is something patrick is struggling with today mm. what are you trying to solve it's a hard one i i definitely have things that I'm struggling with some of which I can't talk about yet. Some of which I can. And I think the one that I struggle with the most is accepting 
belonging, like belonging with people. And what I mean by that is I still have moments of doubt of like how close I am to some friends. And it's, it's this weird thing where it's like, I, I used to like watch people on social media and feel like I was either left out or I was, um, missing out on something because like, you know, I'm over here editing a YouTube video and then there's friends out doing this stuff. But I got past that because I realized that like, that wasn't like what I wanted to do in that moment was edit the YouTube video, not be like out partying on Sixth street. So I got over that. But now that I'm like much more comfortable in who I am and in my own skin, now it's like, okay, I'm not changing myself for anyone. So now it's literally just a matter of like, where do I as Patrick and my full authentic self fit into the world, into the community, into friend circles, things like that. And it's like, I've gotten to the point where I, I think I have specific friends that I can count on for like anything and that I could hit up at a moment's notice and like they'd be down to do stuff. And, but then I wonder like how often are they thinking of me? And it's like, I don't know. It's this weird thing where like, even as an adult uh, who is comfortable in my own skin and who I love where I'm at in my life, I still have those moments of like, am I too much of a lone wolf to where I've like, I'll not shut myself off, but close myself off more than others have from each other. Um, so I think I'm still in that journey of like, figuring out exactly how friendship works. <laughs> I can empathize with that. And it's one of the reasons I actually have a wolf tattooed on my, on my bicep. You mentioned lone wolf, but the, the difference, the reason that the wolf is such a powerful animal is you can survive on your own, but you thrive in packs. Mm. So the key there is to, I think, go back to the very beginning of this episode. You were really touching on seasons of life like there's especially with habits like when you were giving people permission to like turn a habit down and turn another habit up there's seasons to life so like i have a four month old he's not always going to be four months old mm -hmm. he changes almost daily and then he's eventually going to go off into daycare or school and he's going to be gone for eight hours a day so i'm going to have a different time constraint then and i can turn different habits up it's the same thing with like the social aspect of life when you, sometimes you, you're going to have to thrive as the lone wolf, but other times, and I'll tell you this just from like maturing as a, as a man, it's like family has never mattered as much as it does right now to me. Hmm. And it's not even because of me. It's because of him. My parents, every time they come to visit, I can see them getting older. So it's very vivid for me. You mentioned imagination. It's very vivid for me. Wow, he just came and he's getting, he's a very young. So how many years is he gonna get with them? Hmm. Matters more to me than even like what I'm doing with my own time. And I wanna make, I wanna, I wanna loop this where for you, when you're thinking of the times that you're a lone wolf or you're thinking of the times when you're seeking to spend time with other people, give yourself the grace that like there's seasonality to it. And it's also the same for other people. So mm -hmm. I think we don't give enough grace to the other people that they might be in a season of not being able to think about me because they're just trying to stay afloat in their own life. Because I know what that's like right now. Some of my friends I haven't seen because I need to be here for my son. That doesn't mean I'm not thinking about them like mm -hmm. every day. It's almost it feels like chains. Like that's the description that I have. It feels like, but 
like not bad chains. Like I don't know how to describe it. It's like I like being here because my son is, means the most to me, but I'm still a human being and like want to have friends and friendships and mm. the balancing of that is very tough. But the way that I've kind of justified in my head and I hope that this little ramble helps you is that this is just the season of life that I'm in and I can take a deep breath and give myself grace. And then I've also thought about, damn, there's other people that have had this season and like I wasn't aware that they were in this season. And Erin and I talk about this a lot. It was just like when she was pregnant, the season of she can't work out as hard. She can't do some of the certain things. Oh shit, when some of our other friends start getting pregnant, like we're gonna be there for them because we know what that season brings. And then that's gonna be the season where we feel more of that community and more of yeah. whatever. But right now we kind of feel siloed in like that lone wolf because like, most of our friends here in Austin aren't married, let alone have children. So yeah, that's a really just some point. context for you of like, that's something that I'm personally struggling with right now and you're not alone on that journey. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's, that's actually a really good reminder just that like other people very well could be having the same thoughts and it's almost like I can't control whether the people are having those thoughts or not, but I can certainly be mindful that it could be. And um just know that like my thoughts are, are normal and that all I can do is keep doing me and keep uh, doing all the things that I love doing. Yeah. And you're doing a hell of a lot. I'd love to give you however many minutes you want right now to kind of like self-promote. So you, we mentioned the book, we mentioned your retreats, but you're also working on a few other things. Anything else that you have that you want top of mind for anybody that listened all the way through, we thank you. Uh, but yeah, the floor is yours. Yeah. Um, so my Instagram is definitely the easiest place to reach me and where I, I guess you could say do the most publicly because I've posted every single day for more than four and a half years now. And so that's where you can learn the science behind all things fitness through my daily research summary shares on my Instagram story. And that is directly funneling into the Online Fitness Coach Academy, which is the business I run. Um, and that is a certification program for current and aspiring online fitness coaches to learn the science behind all things fitness. You can go through up to five levels of it, 554 topics spanning over 5,000 studies. So if you're a nerd about fitness science, that's the place. If you are looking to get in shape and you want a custom fitness program, no matter where you are in the country or in the world, uh, the Lion Shred is my custom one-on-one fitness coaching program. I also promote that through my Instagram page. I also have it's uh, TikTok where I create at least one daily video there as well, often focused on fitness products and technology. Um, I have a LinkedIn where I share the things I just said, plus like business and career advice. And uh, yeah, those are some of the things I'm working on these days. That's amazing. I usually end every episode with to find the word thriving, but you've already, you've already defined it because you were on here before and you're living it. So I'd love to ask you a little like, sidebar question yeah those that are listening to this podcast today if they could only choose three daily habits to instill their life to live a more thriving lifestyle what would those three habits be it would likely be to eat colors which is uh, eat a wide variety of fruits and vegetables of natural antioxidant sourced pigmentation. Um, that'd be number one. I'd say number two is to make time for God every day. That's something I've really prioritized over the last several years, whether that be um, praying before meals, praying when you wake up or at night, reading or listening to the Bible. Like that's become a big thing for me. Um, it's been a big thing for me, but I've prioritized more over the last couple of years. And then I'd say three 
like I want to say exercise because it matters so much, but you've only given me three. So it's like hard to decide between like exercise and social. I know that it talked about struggling with social life and I still think I can grow in my social life, but I've made a habit of um, meeting at least new one, one new person every single day since I moved to Austin eight months ago. And that has led to so many experiences that I would have never had before if I didn't have that habit. So it's a weird thing because it's like meeting someone every day isn't something that everyone is ever going to be willing to do. So it's hard for me to recommend that. But I know that everyone can exercise every day. So I'm probably going to go with that one. <laughs> you could pick both. I like the social one because if you are going to be social, you're probably going to figure out that exercise should be integrated into your life. A lot of people, I mean, most people know that you should exercise every day. So the the other the other couple, I think everybody could benefit from is just like eat variety, um, have some type of faith in your life and, and hope and believe in the universe that we're here for good and that good is going to happen, especially in today's world where I think social media and a lot of other things are trying to um, split us apart from that and make us feel like the world is ending. Um, and then the last one, which is like social and exercise and do the things that you know you should be doing that that are good for you. So I love that. At the end of every episode, I talk a little bit about what my biggest takeaway was. And I think the biggest one for me that I'm going to ponder on after this episode is your, your class where they talked about booking time for imagination. I haven't heard anybody talk about that. I mean, I'm, I'm 300 episodes in and I don't think we've ever used... I, I'd have to go back and see how many times the word imagination was used. It's not, it can't be more than 10 times. Yeah. Which is enlightening to me. Anytime there's like a, a change in kind of the norm is when I, I take a step back and say, okay, there's, that's interesting. And what I find interesting is adults not talking about imagination enough. But if you really think about the most successful people in the world, if we were to name five right now, they all have crazy imaginations mm -hmm. and they all spend time imagining a world that they want to live in and then they have the courage and commitment to go make it happen. So if you heard that, my challenge for you is book some more time for your own imagination and figure out how to utilize it. Patrick did a really great job of talking about figuring out what that goal is in mind and working towards it every single day. So start there with that goal and that mission that you have in life, but figure out how you can book the imagination time that Patrick was talk about, talking about into your life to help you get closer to that goal. It's something I'm going to be doing leaving this episode, and I appreciate you, Patrick, for showing up and giving that to me today. best thing you can do if you listen to this episode and you loved what Patrick was putting out and you think that somebody else can gain some value from it, please share it with them, friends, family, whoever needs to hear it. That's the best way that you can help us. Second best way is you can give us that five-star rating and review to help us meet, reach more people that need to hear stories like Patrick. Until next time, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive Online Podcast. Thrive on, y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive on Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. 
To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.